Before we jump into today's topic, allow me to take just a moment to thank today's show sponsor, which is Organifi. You guys know how I feel about Organifi. It is my go-to. In fact, this is so refreshing. I have a glass of ice, fresh water mixed with pure and immunity. It's got just enough citrus. That's two of their products mixed together. I don't know if everybody likes the taste of that. I do. I love it. It's like an orange flavor. The immunity kind of tastes like orange. And then the pure has a lemony taste. And I mix two of them together. And that way I get everything I need for my immunity, my antiviral, my antifungal. It's just a great way to support your immune system every single day. And then I mix that with my Organifi Pure, which is it's basically all the superfoods that your brain needs to help reach maximum mental performance. In other words, it's what I drink to help me think better, to help my memory, to increase neurogenesis. And get this, this is the other reason why I drink it. Their product is clinically proven to boost BDNF, brain-derived neurotropic factor by up to 142%. Anyways, they've got tons of great products. Whatever your nutritional needs might be lacking or your palate might be craving, Organifi is definitely the company to check out. All right, guys, the cool news, you get 20% off all of their products when you use code Chalene. Again, it's Organifi, and I'm gonna spell it O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash Chalene. That's Organifi.com forward slash Chalene, and you get 20% off. Welcome. Today, we're talking about the very most important thing that you can do for your health. And it doesn't matter whether we're talking about your mental health, physical health, sexual health, your brain health, your gut health, all of it starts with sleep. And we're learning this more and more every single day. You want to live a better life? You want to be an optimal human? Listen, we're also focused on exercise and what we're putting in our mouths and all these other crazy things that you know, sometimes can cost a lot of money and take a lot of time, but the absolute best thing, the most important thing you can do for your health is sleep. So today, what I'm bringing to you are the best experts, the best advice, and the best tips, my own practical tips and what exactly it is I've done to help reset my sleep. Because ladies and gentlemen, sleep is crazy important. The first thing you have to understand is that sleep is is not something that's just like nice to have. It's absolutely necessary. It is critical to your health. You can live without food for quite a period of time. You can live without water for quite a period of time. You're not going to die if you don't go to the gym. You're not going to die if you live or sustain yourself on a diet of soda and cookies. But y'all, if you are sleep deprived, you are shortening your life. And in fact, if you go without sleep for too long, you'll die. Sleep is necessary. Everyone knows they need this. You're fighting the good fight. Why don't we think it's important enough? This answer is so simple. And I spent time contemplating this for a long time, actually. And the simplicity is where the beauty is at with this. We don't really value sleep because we don't have to do anything. Hmm. Right. So sleep has been this really interesting phenomenon recently where we're having issues with it, where our genes just expect us to do this thing. And today in our society, we're really taught, like, if you're not hustling, if you're not doing 27 things and while having the kids and dropping everybody, like if you're not just overwhelmed, you're not showing up, you know, you're not doing the best that you can. 
And so having that type of paradigm that we're living in to value something that you actually don't do anything, it doesn't make sense to us. Yeah. And so that's really where it starts. And digging deeper, you know, just digging into the research, you start to find out that all the stuff that you're actually doing is not effective. You know, there's a difference between doing things and being effective. Yeah. You're losing so much of your- I mean, all of the things that we keep ourselves awake. Yeah. All the things we're like, well, I need to get this project done, so I'll sacrifice. The public at large doesn't even know why sleep matters. And that's another thing. It's just that disconnection. Because if you've got 10 things to do and sleep is one of them, we'll just ixnay the sleep. Can I challenge you on that? Because I think that people do know why they need sleep. It's a fringe level. It's very- outer level. It's not Mm. that deep visceral, like I gotta have my sleep, Okay, you know, because it's like, I know I'll feel better. I know, you know, that kind of thing. How do you feel about that concept and kind of the trend that to be successful, you've got to go, 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 sleep less, hustle more? My whole career, I've been practicing for 17 years Mm -hmm. and my whole career, I've had people come up to me, especially entrepreneurs and business owners and CEOs, corporate executives, because I have a whole side practice where I just work with them. Yeah. And they ask me one of two things. They oftentimes say, well, how important sleep could sleep really be? Because I'll sleep when I'm dead. Right. Mm-hmm. And so the same phrase that you use. And my, my response is usually exactly the same, which is, well, that's going to happen a lot sooner mm-hmm. than you might imagine if you keep up the pace that you're going, because we know that sleep deprivation affects immune function. We know that there is not an organ system or a disease state that is not affected by poor sleep. We know that your decision making is greatly affected by your your amount of sleep. We know that your moodiness and emotional reactivity is affected by your sleep. We know that your reaction time is affected by your sleep. I mean, there literally isn't a thing that you do that you can't do better with a good night's sleep. My nighttime routine looked like kind of getting the kids to sleep, whatever time I could do that by, and then maybe doing a little bit to prepare myself for the next day, like maybe like, okay, where's the kids' homework? Like, let's set that out by the door. Let's get backpacks. Let's, I don't know, like maybe do some quick laundry. Like, And then mainly I would just do all the things that I didn't get a chance to do while the kids were awake. And then I would put the kids to bed and then I would do those things like a maniac. And then I'd be like, oh my gosh, there's so much work that I couldn't do because there was so much going on during the day. So I would sit down at my computer and I would work for a couple of hours, be stimulated. Sometimes I would also use my phone, but usually I was using like my laptop and I would work until I realized like, okay, girl, you need to go to bed. Then what I would do to kind of unwind is try to do something mindless, like watching TV. Well, first I would enjoy some time with my husband. Like that's you know, hello, we've been married for 25 years. That's one of the secrets to our success, if you know what I'm saying. Like, even when I was like really tired, even if he had gone up to bed before me, I would like wake him up and you know what I mean? And that's not a good thing. Like, you should be going to bed at the same time together. I'm telling you, I'm telling you, the more in sync you can get with your partner, including in sync with their bedtime and bed routine, the closer you're going to become just letting your partner go off to bed and then you staying up and doing your own thing like that just you don't realize it but it creates distance it creates a message for your children it's not a good thing if you can avoid it of course you can of course you can avoid it so try to do a better job if you can of trying to go to bed at the same time this might mean both of you creating some 
compromise. Anyway, so that's what we did. And then after whatever, after watching some TV, etc., then now it's like, I don't know, like 11 o'clock or midnight sometimes. And then I might be like, huh, there's a lot of things I'm thinking I need to get off my brain right now. So let me just grab my phone and I'll add to my to-do list on my phone. And huh, let me see what else. Okay, so I'm still kind of awake. So I would do other things on my phone. Now, the thing is, in my mind, I was in bed by 10 or 10.30, but I wasn't going to sleep. But I could tell myself that lie, like when people would say, what time do you go to bed to wake up every day to teach a 5.30 a.m. class, which meant I had to wake up at like 4.45. What time do you go to bed at night? And I would say, oh, I go to bed at 10.30, which was true. I was in the bed, but I certainly wasn't going to sleep. So it's what time are you falling asleep? I would sometimes even get back up out of bed and go work on my laptop because I wanted to connect with my husband, right? Like I wanted to have him fall asleep next to me. And then I would feel like, gosh, I'm so overwhelmed by everything I have to do tomorrow. I'm going to get up and work a little bit more on my laptop. And the next thing you know, it's like 1230, 1 a.m. And I'm trying to get myself to go to sleep. But I'm I'm having such a hard time now falling asleep because I would think to myself like, oh my God, you really messed up. You need to go to sleep earlier tomorrow. Shalene Johnson, what are you doing? Like go to sleep. Why can't I fall asleep? Why can't I shut my brain off? Why is my brain thinking about all these things? Go to sleep. Oh no, now you're only going to get three hours of sleep. Oh no, oh no, now it's only two hours and 45 minutes. And you start doing that countdown. And then you're just like, should I even sleep or should I just like wake up? You know what I could do? I'm not going to get any sleep tonight anyways. I should just get up out of bed and I should just go clean the kitchen. That's what I should do. I should just like get ahead. And then that way tomorrow I'll be able to go to sleep much earlier. So there were literally nights where I was so poor about this negative loop that I would literally just get up and go, oh, well, I'm just going to, you know, screw it. There's, I'm only going to get two hours of sleep. I'm going to even be more tired. I might as well just not sleep. And then you know what I'll do? I'll go teach that class and I'll come home and I will nap. Yes, I'm going to take like a four or five hour nap tomorrow. And I think you probably can guess how often that happened. Approximately 0.0 times. I never did that. And that's how I lived my life for gosh, I don't know, 15, 16, 17 years, a long time, a long time, way too long. If we determine how much sleep you really need, and by the way, not everybody needs the same amount. You know, let's just talk about the myth right here in that eight hours is a myth. Good. I was going to ask one of the reasons why I wasn't motivated to get more Mm -hmm. sleep, even though I knew it couldn't be good for me to be getting like four and a half hours sleep, which is what I functioned on for, I can't even tell you how many years, was I didn't feel bad. I didn't wake up tired. True that if I stopped moving kind of like a shark, (laughs) you're like, I was (laughs) was dead. If there was any inactivity or just sitting down, I would fall asleep immediately. I could fall asleep in my car. But I always felt like, well, I'll just keep going, going, going. And I feel energetic. I didn't have negative side effects. So I would tell myself this little white lie that I must be special. I must not need a normal amount of sleep. Well, you are special. However, (laughs) it probably has nothing to do with the amount of sleep that you need. You're what we call an adrenaline junkie. Yeah. So 
what happens is that and you and you outlined it perfectly when you're moving you're moving and you have a level of adrenaline and a level of attention and a level of focus that is very unique that a lot of people out there don't have Mm -hmm. um the problem is is that you don't have enough fuel in the tank meaning sleep in order to keep that pace for as long as you might like and you may or may not know that you probably were making some mistakes, some that might not be critical, but certainly ones that add up over time. For and sure. that's happening with a lot of my business owners, CEOs, entrepreneurs. And it's pretty amazing the pace that a lot of people have to keep. And I get that part. But what I don't like is 10 years down the road when the CEOs have kept that pace for that long a period of time and they've got high blood pressure yeah. or atrial fibrillation or some of these pretty devastating cardiac and cardiophysical aspects that can have a major, major effect on their sleep. And so when you look at how much sleep does somebody need, there's a few factors to think about. Okay. So first of all, the average sleep cycle is approximately 90 minutes long. Mm -hmm. And the average person has five of those sleep cycles. So if you take your socially determined wake up time, and everybody has one of those, by the way, in our house, it's 630, because I have to get the kids up because they have to get into the shower and get ready for school because I take them to school in the mornings. Everybody gets up during the week at 6.30. So if we know that the average person has five of these 90-minute cycles, and since 90-minute cycles, five of them is 450 minutes, divide that by 60 to get the number of hours, that's seven and a half hours. Mm -hmm. So if you count backwards from 6.30 by seven and a half hours, you now know that your bedtime should be 11 o'clock. Mm-hmm. Because most people don't know what their bedtime should be. And so a lot of people don't realize that there is a bedtime that's good for people. Now, we just disproved the myth of eight hours because 90 times five is 450, which is seven and a half hours. So we already know eight hours doesn't work. Mm -hmm. And then here's the kicker is some people don't have a 90-minute cycle. They have an 80-minute cycle or a 75-minute cycle. Uh Me personally, I'm a six and a half hour sleeper. I have been almost my whole life. Ah. My body will naturally wake up around 6.30 in the morning, so I don't really go to bed before midnight because I just don't need that kind of sleep. Now, my wife doesn't necessarily love that because she likes to get in bed a little bit earlier. So what we'll do is I might do a little bit of work or catch up on a few things and then get in bed and watch TV or read with her, let her fall asleep, and then do some more quiet things like meditation, relaxation, kind of daily reflection, journaling, things like that, and then I go to bed by midnight. So everybody out there can do this experiment themselves. Just count backwards from your socially determined wake-up time Mm -hmm. and then see if that works for you. And then you'll start to figure it out. If you wake up an hour before your alarm clock, guess what? You went to bed an hour too early. Wow. Push, Push that number back. Discipline means doing the smart thing. So waking up at the same time every day. Notice I didn't say going to bed. Yeah. You can go to bed when you want. Wake up at the same time every single day. Okay. I promise if you do one thing, if you heard one piece of advice from this entire conversation, if you just wake up at the same time every day, you will absolutely positively improve your sleep. That's where the discipline comes in. Okay. The other two things to be disciplined about are caffeine and alcohol, okay? Stop caffeine by 2 p.m., just stop, all right? Caffeine is a half-life of between six and eight hours, right? If you stop at two, half of it is out of your system by 10, you should have a reasonable chance of getting to sleep, okay? Now, if you wanna be better at it, stop your caffeine much earlier in the day. To be clear, 
Caffeine has no nutritional value <laughs> whatsoever. It is a stimulant. Now, there's got to be about 10% of your population that listens to this, and here's what they're thinking right now. Huh, Dr. Bruce, sleep guy, he doesn't know what he's talking about. I can have an espresso and go right to sleep. Absolutely. Are you really absorbing the caffeine? So I have a patient who has an espresso every night before she falls asleep. She sleeps for nine hours, and when I track her sleep, it's perfect. So we did a genomic study on her, and we discovered that her body doesn't process caffeine well. And so no, she can take this dose of caffeine, and it actually takes a very small amount of it. So she can drink caffeine all day, and it has almost no effect on her. There are people that actually have caffeine sensitivities. So some people can eat a chocolate kiss and be up for two days. True. Other people can you know, drink a pot of coffee and go right to sleep. Yeah. This could have something to do with this genomics research that I was talking about just a moment ago. Caffeine's a stimulant and you stuck it in your head. So guess what? It's going to affect the quality of your sleep. You might still be able to fall asleep just because you're so doggone tired, but it will affect the quality of that sleep. And that's really the thing to be observant about. With alcohol, it's very simple. When you drink a drink of alcohol, you stop time. You drink that drink and you're whole circadian rhythm slows down because now you've put alcohol in the picture, right? The reason that people wake up at three o'clock in the morning after having passed out instead of going to bed mm -hmm. is because they literally put an IV in their arm, right? And then it finally came out and their brain is like, holy crap, what just happened to me? You wake up at three o'clock in the morning, you're sweating, you have to pee and you don't know what time it is and you're very disoriented. Simple rule, drink one glass of wine, Drink one glass of water, wait one hour. Okay. Two glasses of wine, two glasses of water, two hours. You gotta stop at two. Here's why. Once you get more than two alcoholic beverages in your brain, your brain says, oh crap, there's a toxin in here. I need to jack up my cortisol because I don't know what's going on. Now you're an energetic drunk trying to go to sleep. It just doesn't work well. That's so the big three things that you've got from a discipline standpoint is wake up at the same time every day, stop caffeine by two, stop all alcohol, limit to two drinks, stop all alcohol within three hours of bedtime. Let's talk about the relationship to sleep and our hormones. Sleep, because when we talk about hormones, we are talking about weight. And I think oftentimes for many women, it is the additional weight that becomes the motivating factor. It's like, oh yeah, I've got brain fog, but I can deal with that. I can deal with the brain fog. I can deal with the dry skin. I can deal with the hair loss, but I can't deal with the extra 10 pounds I put on. So sometimes yeah. that's what motivates people to really take control of their hormones. So let's talk about sleep for a second. Yeah. I recently got an aura ring and to my, I guess to my surprise, maybe not, I'm realizing that even though I'm in bed for eight hours, I'm not getting eight hours worth of sleep. So when we're talking about like the amount of sleep that you need, it's not just being in bed for that number of hours. It's how effective you're able to use that sleep and how effective we use that sleep has a lot to do with how we're managing our stress during the day. Tell me about the relationship between sleep and our hormones and sleep and weight gain. Yeah. So much the same way that stress activates cortisol and cortisol makes us pack on weight, Lack of sleep, so even just getting under seven hours of sleep a night, or even just getting under seven hours of sleep occasionally can activate your cortisol. So it's the exact same thing. It's just a different form 
of that same stress pathway getting activated, literally the same hormones. But the other thing is that when we're getting good sleep, our brain is producing something called melatonin. Melatonin is an antidote to some of the stress impact that cortisol has on our brain and body. Also, as women, especially before menopause, our ovaries are really important for producing our monthly cycles. And melatonin is also really important for ovarian health. So getting enough sleep is not just good for our brain and our mood and our blood sugar and our cravings and our weight, but it's also good for our reproductive health. So it's kind of all tied together. Mm. We can talk about the weight loss thing. So there's a study done by the Canadian Medical Association Journal. This will motivate people. Right. Tell us why lack of sleep makes us fat. Okay. (laughs) So this was published in the journal and they took two groups of exercisers and dieters, same exact exercise program, same exact diet. And one group got eight plus hours of sleep a night. The other group, they sleep deprived on purpose. So they're getting around five hours of sleep a night or less. At the end of the study, the group that was sleep deprived lost far less weight and far less body fat. The only difference was the sleep. Everything mm-hmm. else is exactly the same. Wow. So what's going on there is my question where I dig around and your body physiologically changes from the exercise that you do and the food that you're eating. A lot of the assimilation happens while you're asleep. Wow. Right? So we're missing that part. Now, here's a big part with the whole weight gain issue. You know, when you're up with the living and gobbling down everything is that just 24 hours sleep deprivation, number one, is going to make you as insulin resistant as a type two diabetic. 24 hours of sleep deprivation? Yeah, for anybody. Okay, but when you say, what is 24 hours sleep deprivation? In my mind, are you telling me I'm up for 24 hours? Yeah, so this is, and of course, this is looking at an extreme, you know, but there are levels to this. Yeah. So just if we stayed up from today to tomorrow, both of us can go get some blood work done. Like, hey, wow, you got prediabetes. Wow. And it's just because- your body's doing a lot of processes when you're asleep to repair you. Now, here's the thing with weight gain. So when you're sleep deprived, you're going to get a reduction of about 6% of glucose reaching your brain. Okay. So what does this mean? You can't make decisions is what it means. And here's what was so crazy is that 12 to 14% of that was from your prefrontal cortex. So this is the more human part of your brain. So that part of your brain basically starts to starve. Translation, you get dumber. All right. Mm -hmm. So this is the part of your brain responsible for decision-making, for distinguishing between right and wrong, for social control, for your so-called willpower, right? And now if you've ever had a cookie in your life, if you've ever had ice cream in your life, your brain and your body is going to compel you to get that glucose back to your brain because this is evolutionary biology. You know, 200 years ago, 300 years ago, if you're not sharp, you might lose your life. You mm-hmm. might be able to not procure your food and take care of your family. You need to be as sharp as possible. Your body is just going to compel you to eat more. And I don't know about you, and you've had experience doing this. Mm-hmm. I haven't heard of one person in the history of humanity that was up two o'clock in the morning like, you know what? I want a salad. Sounds, kale sounds good right now. <laughs> I've stayed up all day, all night. You know what sounds it's good? It's always me. And I think I'm going to soothe my uh, feeling sorry for myself with some kale. No, that does not happen. <laughs> it doesn't happen. You Next thing you know, you've got the orange fingers. You know, you just crushed a, a bag of cheesy poops. <laughs> You know, or you're looking down the barrel of an empty carton of ice cream. Oh, isn't that You know, it's happened to to us all. And we don't know. And then the guilt sets in because like you're telling yourself, I'm going to make sure I'm working out and you're getting into a battle of your willpower versus your biology Mm. and your biology is going to win. Yeah. Recently, I partnered with Soul CBD. I fell in love with the company when I started researching 
CBD products, and then they've helped me to develop a sleep gummy that has like been a true game changer. It was really fascinating to go through that process of formulation and testing and trying to figure out the right amount of melatonin and CBD and mixing those two things. And then how do you get the right taste profile without putting in additives and preservatives and other ingredients that make things taste good, but then it takes away the fact that it's a natural ingredient? How do we find the right mixture of what other ingredients could we add to it, like cannabinol, to help really increase the amount of REM sleep and deep sleep that people are able to have by taking one of these gummies? Now, I'm a big fan of gummies because unlike a capsule, like a capsule, you just have to take a whole capsule. And if one capsule isn't enough, then you have to take two capsules, and maybe that's too much. But with a gummy, you can really customize and microdose the amount that's perfect for you because you can just bite off a little extra. So you can take one gummy and then bite off a little quarter of another one. By the way, you can check out your new nighttime bestie, the sleepy gummy, by going to mysoulcbd.com forward slash Shaleen. When you enter the code Shaleen, you're going to get 15% off and a lot of R&D went into the development of this product. It tastes delicious, but really, truthfully, more importantly, it works. I assume that from the time we were pretty young, our parents are telling us you need to get adequate sleep. And that's just a message we tend to believe because you can feel it. But I think the correlation between weight and sleep is something that's relatively new. So I want to come right out of the gates and have you explain to us why and how in the world does sleep affect our weight? So it's fairly interesting. The data has really started to come into its own within the last 10 or so years. But uh, there's four ways that we know that sleep deprivation affects our ability to lose weight or to maintain a healthy weight. And just to give everybody an idea of what I mean by sleep deprivation, Mm -hmm. while it does partially mean the number of minutes or hours of sleep that you get, it also has to do with the quality of the sleep that you get. So it's not just a quantity issue, but it's a quality issue as well. And there's lots of reasons why you might have poor quality sleep. I can't count the number of patients who've shown up in my office and said, Dr. Bruce, I'm sleeping seven, seven and a half, eight, you know, eight and a half hours and I can't lose weight and I feel terrible. You know, what the heck is going on? And it turns out that they have an underlying sleep disorder like sleep apnea or they have a thyroid issue like um, Hashimoto's hypothyroidism or something like that. So anything that deprives you of quality or quantity sleep is what I'm calling sleep deprivation. Now, once we understand that definition, The thing you have to realize is there's four different areas that have affected us in terms of weight. So first of all, when we're sleep deprived, our metabolism slows down and actually doesn't expend the energy that we normally would would have happen. Why is that? Well, you know, here's the theory. And I think this is true. I think this holds true with the research that's been done is, in fact, your body wants to hold on to resources because it doesn't know why it's still awake. Mm. Your body's like, holy cow, I don't want to go down, you know, in my gas tank to fumes. I want to keep that. So I'm going to I'm going to put the engine on idle right now, if you will, as an analogy, in order to not use up all my fuel. And so your metabolism slows down. So you're not burning calories as fast as you normally would when you're well slept, when you're sleep deprived. Mm. So that's number one. Number two is we know that when you're sleep deprived, your fight or flight response kicks in and your cortisol levels raise. So mm-hmm. cortisol is one of those stress hormones that not only can it burn out your adrenal glands and cause you lots of fatigue, but it also increases your appetite. And the reason we think that happens is because you don't have enough resources in your body. And so your brain is saying cortisol high, 
bring in the food, bring in the food. Mm-hmm. So already we've seen two things that have a dramatic effect. We see a lowering of metabolism and an increase of appetite. Right there, even if we stopped right there, that recipe would be weight gain, right? Yeah, absolutely. But it doesn't stop there. It gets even worse. So we know that hormonally, things have a tendency to change as well. There are two hormones in particular that we have to educate ourselves. One is called ghrelin, and that's spelled G-H-R-E-L-I-N. And the reason I spell it out is because it starts with a G, so I call it the go hormone. Mm. And it's the thing that makes you hungry. Now, believe it or not, there's a difference between being hungry and having an appetite, at least metabolically speaking, and you have 20% more go or 20% more ghrelin when you're sleep deprived. The other one is something called leptin, and leptin is a hormone that makes you want to stop eating, makes you think that you're full or what's called the satiety hormone, and we have 15% less leptin. So let me go over this one more time. You've got high cortisol, which equals high appetite. You have high Mm -hmm. ghrelin, which means it makes you want to eat, and high hunger. You have low leptin, which tells you that you're full, and you have low metabolism. If that weren't enough, (laughs) there's even more. Oh, no. Uh, There's a great study at the University of Chicago where they took people who were sleep-deprived, and they put them in front of two tables of food. They had healthy alternatives on one side and cakes and cookies and pies on the other. And they all went for the cakes and the cookies and the pies. Now, that wasn't as obvious to everybody as as what the previous research had been. But recently, they've discovered that when you eat those high-fat, high-carbohydrate foods, it causes a release of serotonin in your brain, which is the calming hormone. And we think that with those high levels of cortisol, the brain doesn't like that. So it makes you crave food to help calm the brain down. That's why we call them comfort food is because it actually makes us feel comfortable. Now, let me tell you what my routine looks like. And I have to start by saying I had to change all of my triggers. I had to change my schedule. I had to change my mindset around all of this. And I had to focus on my family. I had to think about like really, truly, what is most important here? Aside from just my health, like I've got to get on the same rhythm as them. I was on a completely different rhythm. And there are certainly times where you don't have a choice, maybe. But if you do have a choice, like get your act together, get on the same rhythm as your family, hashtag duh. Right? Don't be selfish about this. I was being selfish about this. So I can say that to you. When I was living my life that way, I was always tired yet wired. And because of that, I never admitted to myself that I was truly sleep deprived. I thought somehow I was made differently than other people, but I woke up every single day behind the eight ball. I woke up every day feeling tired, groggy, mentally confused, and completely disorganized. And I always felt like I was like running, 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 trying to catch up. And I always kept waiting for the sun to go down so that I would have time to catch up on everything. It's a horrible way to be. Let me share with you now my new nighttime routine. So I had to reorganize everything. That meant I needed to put myself in kind of a sleepier state hours before my bedtime. I started using an app called Relax Melodies. What I do like about it is it includes bedtime meditations. It includes relaxing music. It includes special mixes that you can make that sound like the ocean or the waves, etc. So I can play that sound machine at night. 
I also love that you can program into it a daily reminder that is sent to your phone as a notification that reminds you to start getting ready for bed. So my notification comes in at 8.30 p.m. So at 8.30 p.m., I get a reminder that no matter what I'm doing to start my bedtime routine, and I do. So I put my phone aside and or I will put on a meditation or something that's very relaxing to listen to. It might even be a podcast, but something that's really relaxing. I put my earbuds in and then I do this. Are you ready? Like this is all my nighttime routine. I start by creating everything that I need for the very next day. So I first fill three water bottles, 25 ounce bottles of water. And I make sure that I put a little bit of ice in there. I do that the night before. I set out my supplements that I'm going to take in the morning. And I put those on the kitchen counter. I prepare my coffee. I set the programmer on my coffee machine so that coffee is ready by the time I wake up. I get the dog's food for the next morning ready to go. I set out my workout clothes for the next morning. I pick them out the night before. Everything, socks, shoes, pants, top, my cover-up. I also set out my contacts. I set out my makeup. I set out my lashes. I select what it is I'm going to listen to the next morning when I wake up as I'm getting ready because that's my time for personal development. Usually, I'll pick an audio lesson from some course that I'm going through or maybe an audible book or maybe even a podcast. Okay, not only that, I also use this time to select or pick out what I'm going to wear later in the day after my workout. I take my planner, which is a push journal, and I write out what my schedule looks like for the next day. Okay, that really, really helps me. That helps me go to sleep. Also in my push journal, there's a little place on every day where you can just write general notes, like just any random thing that's in your head. I get all of that ish out of my head before I go to bed. Get it out of your head before you go to bed. And so I just write it down. I might, I don't try to solve it. I just write it down. And the sheer act of writing it down puts it in your subconscious. And half the time, by the time I wake up, I've already, it's weird. Like these things, I already have like quick solutions for them first thing when I wake up in the morning. You know what this does? It allows me to start feeling calm before I go to bed and feeling confident not overwhelmed. It's crazy what this has done for me. I just feel so much more relaxed because I know, oh my gosh, my entire day is all laid out for me right now. And it's not even 930. All of this takes me less than an hour and it just creates a routine for me that begins to induce melatonin. Like melatonin is a hormone that your body produces that tells you, okay, it's time to get in sleepy mode. I would love to know if there is, for people that are listening, who have, they've done everything. Like they've read the books, they've listened to the podcast, and they also are completely in agreement that I've got to get better sleep, but they just, for whatever reason, they've got insomnia or they're a shift worker, or they have small humans that don't seem to care much about mom and dad's sleep. But for that person who's like, listen, I'm doing all the things. I'm shutting off my screens. I'm meditating. I'm not having caffeine after a certain hour. I'm doing all of the things, but I still can't get good sleep. 
Is there any suggestion or benefit to them doing a sleep aid? Or what other suggestions do you have for that person who says, I've done all the lifestyle stuff and I'm still not getting sleep? Absolutely. So number one, let's get something incredibly clear. There are some people who need a pill to Mm. sleep. That's just how it works for some people. I liken it a bit to high blood pressure, right? So if I've got a patient who comes in who exercises, eats right, does all the things right, but still has high blood pressure, we stick them on a pill to lower their blood pressure. They're not addicted to that pill. There's nothing wrong with them for being on that pill. And they're actually following their doctor's orders and are actually safer and healthier by being on said Mm -hmm. pill. I would argue that there is definitely a group of people out there where this would hold true for sleeping pills. Now, look, I'm not saying everybody needs to be on a sleeping pill. I am saying that I think sleeping pills are over-prescribed. I think too many doctors use this as a very simple Band-Aid because what we usually call insomnia is what we call a door handle diagnosis, is as the doctor's got their hand on the door and they're just about to walk out, the patient says, oh, by the way, doc, I don't sleep so well. And so they don't have the time, they pull up the prescription pad, they write a script and they say, take this for 30 days and come back and see me. The problem isn't that they give them a sleeping pill. The problem is, is that they don't give them the tools to use to know how to use the sleeping pill and how to come off the sleeping pill safely and effectively. Mm. That seems to be the biggest issues. There are some things about over-the-counter sleep aids that I wanted to address quickly as well, not prescription ones and not herbal ones, but ones that we can grab in the grocery Mm -hmm. or at the drugstore. I really want people to understand that there's now data to suggest that these are linked to Alzheimer's and dementia. There've been multiple studies showing that frequent use of the quote PM medications out there, that PM is actually Benadryl and long-term use of Benadryl is not good. There's been at least three studies to show that it is highly correlated with Alzheimer's and dementia. So if you're taking one of those more than let's say once or twice a week, you want to have a conversation with your doctor to learn, hey, number one, is there something better that I could be on prescription or not? Number two, are there any other methods or things like cognitive behavioral therapy that I can do that would be much more not only safe, but long-term actually give me a better skill set. Would you believe that the data shows that if you put somebody on Ambien for 30 days and you put them on cognitive behavioral therapy for 30 days, that the therapy wins every single time? Wouldn't be surprised at all by that. Okay, now let's talk to those of you who are moms because you're like, okay, how does this work for me if I'm a mom? Ladies, if you have babies... Oh, God bless you. But all bets are off. Like, it's just not the same. And then to put pressure on yourself to get perfect sleep, it's just not realistic. I'm sure that God has, I mean, there haven't been any studies on this to my knowledge, but I'm sure that God has designed us in such a way that there's this chunk of time when we're raising small humans that you get a pass. Because as much as you want to make sleep a priority in your life, Yeah, that nursing six-month-old has different plans. Like, they're living off of you. They're sustaining life off of you. And you just sleep so lightly when you can hear the baby on the monitor and you've got a four-year-old who's wandering into your bedroom at 3 a.m. and and you're potty training and and night terrors and, like, all these things. Like, it was so hard to sleep and get good sleep 
when you are a mom. So I just want to say I love you and you're not going to believe me right now because you're in the thick of it. But girl, there's going to come a day where you're going to be like, oh my gosh, that was amazing. I just got the best sleep. It's going to happen. I promise. But moms, it is so important for you to listen to what I'm about to tell you. This is so key because remember, I started making these changes when my kids were still at home and, you know, in school. So depending on the age of your kids, the earlier you start this, the better. Now, my friend Monica, who has triplets, you know, Monica, crazy Monica with the triplets. She started doing these things with her triplets out of necessity because Lord knows having triplets, you have to be so organized and things have got to run like clockwork or you're, you're going to drive yourself crazy. I mean, I remember at, gosh, when her kids were like three and four years old, she would involve them in this process and have them get themselves ready for bed, have them know exactly what they were going to do in the morning. Moms, this part is for you. And the earlier you start this, the better. Because you trying to be super mom and like do all of these things for your kids is you're not going to do them any favors. You're going to create children who lack confidence and who are lacking in self-sufficiency because mom has always done it for them. Stop picking out their clothes. The moment your kids are old enough to know that they need a shirt and a pair of pants, which is probably around three, you need to let them pick those out. Like teach them these evening routines, teach them these habits early. Why would you wait until they're in high school to teach these things at night? Okay, guys, it's get ready for bed, which isn't just brush my teeth and go get my pajamas on or take a bath. Teach your children to pick out their clothes for the next day. And P.S., let them wear, this is my opinion, all right? And I've raised two. I don't know if that makes me an expert, but I got to tell you, we let our kids, they picked out their clothes the night before and we told them they could wear whatever they wanted, whatever they wanted. You should have seen the things that Sierra wore to school. Holy cow. OMG. I mean, so funny. And that was part of what helped her to become an individual. Brock too. We just let them wear whatever they wanted. If they wanted to wear pajamas to school, so be it. Now, of course, I would explain to them what consequences they might have to endure. Like, you know, if you wear that, you might get teased today. But if that's your choice, that's your choice. Make it your kid's responsibility to get their backpacks loaded up with everything they need for the next day. You can double check and make sure everything's in there. But that's their responsibility. Like, come on now. Stop doing your kids' work. Stop making their beds. Stop picking out their clothes. Start teaching them how to be self-sufficient adults. Teach them how to be self-sufficient young humans. They will be more confident than their counterparts. They'll have more respect for you and more respect for themselves. Teach them what they have to do the night before. Say, I want you to pretend right now that we have to walk out the door for school in a few hours. So get everything ready. And you teach them everything, like a checklist, create a checklist for them. And then when you start getting your bedtime routine down, and they know that that starts at whatever time you set that for, they will do the same. And we keep energy low. And we set a new tone. And we talk to them about why this is going to help them. Rather than telling your kids like what to do, help them to understand how this benefits them. Your bedtime routine is one of the most important things you can teach your children in order to have your very most productive, well-rested, healthy day. 
you need to start the night before. It's doable and you can do it too. Sleep is really energy transfer, right? So we've got energy during the day and then we're going to transfer that energy to an unconscious state. During that unconscious state, our body's going to be needing to do a whole host of things with that extra energy that we've now closed our eyes and stopped moving our body around because it needs to repair, it needs to process, it needs to do all these different things. Sometimes our body wakes up in the middle of the night. Usually it's between two and three o'clock in the morning. So first of all, let's talk about why that happens at that time. When you fall asleep at night, your core body temperature rises, rises, rises. When it hits 1030 at night, it hits a peak and begins to fall. When it starts to fall, it hits a trough. Okay. When it hits that bottom level, it has to rise again for you to wake up. Guess what time it starts to rise? between two and three in the morning. So your body is getting warmer then, which makes it easier for you to wake up. So that's the reason, number one, why most people wake up during that time. Mm -hmm. So what we see happen, which is interesting, is if people can wake up, number one, don't look at the clock, which is pretty much impossible. Mm. Almost every single person, when they wake up in the middle of the night, looks at the clock. They instantly do the mental math and then they're pissed off, right? (laughs) Then they're like, oh, are you kidding me? It's 2.30 in the morning. I got to be up at six. Sleep, sleep, sleep. And they try really hard to sleep. Trying to sleep is about the worst idea there is. I always say sleep is a lot like love. The less you look for it, the more it shows up, Interesting, right? So remember when you were out there just trying to find that person? And you could never find them. And then the second you stopped looking, that person wandered into your life. That's exactly how sleep is in the middle of the night. You must accept the fact that your body knows what it's doing. Mm. There's a reason you woke up. You may not be aware of it. That's okay. Relax. Your body has woken you up for a reason. Do you need to go to the bathroom? Go to the bathroom. If you do not need to go to the bathroom, don't. Yeah. Relax. Okay. 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 Slow your heart rate down because in order to re-enter into a state of unconsciousness, your heart rate must be at 60 or below. Mm-hmm. What's the easiest way to drop your heart rate? Four, seven, eight breathing. I'm going to teach everybody a technique right now that you can use in the middle of the night. And it's exactly what it sounds like. Breathe in for a count of four, hold it for a count of seven, breathe out for a count of eight. This is not something I developed. The Navy SEALs developed this for their snipers in order to make sure that their heart rate would drop significantly before they fired their weapon. It works incredibly well, and it's an easy thing to do in the middle of the night. Say, it's okay. My body knows what it's doing. I'm now going to relax and do some four, seven, eight breathing and see if the natural sleep process will allow me to fall back asleep. Remember, Just lying there is actually recuperative. Mm. Like an hour's worth of lying there is worth about 15 minutes of sleep. So I tell people all the time, just chill out. Trust in the process. I promise you, if you need to fall back asleep, you will. All right. I hope you enjoyed this. I love you. I mean it. And I'll talk to you soon. 